I'm Holly Tucker, and welcome to my podcast, Conversations of Inspiration. Founder of Not On The High Street and Holly & Co, I'm the UK ambassador of creative small businesses. I believe that having a business doing what you love is the key to a happy, fulfilled life. And my dream is to help everyone start theirs. I'm here to offer advice, inspiration, wisdom and encouragement. And in my view, the greatest way to do this is by sharing stories. So I've reached out to all my favourite small businesses, acclaimed entrepreneurs and those who just simply inspire me and ask them to share theirs. With thanks to our sponsor NatWest, who have helped bring this free podcast to life. Here are my conversations of inspiration. Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down where we're going. You won't be As the end of the year from, is in sight, I thought I'd reflect. Firstly, I just can't tell you what an utter joy it is each week to record this podcast. So much hard work goes on behind the scenes to setting them all up, to researching them for the never-asked-before questions. But each time, I genuinely leave feeling like I've not only learned something, but I just become completely and utterly inspired. And I do hope you feel the same and that all the lessons over the past year have been really useful. I also want to say an extra thank you to our partner NatWest. They have supported this podcast from day one, as well as helping us take conversations of inspiration on the road. I can't wait to announce exciting plans that we have for 2020. It's an honour and a joy to create every episode and to share these often unknown stories. Stories that show how courage, determination and good intentions can take you to places far beyond your own imagination to create positive change in the world. So with that in mind, over the next two weeks, I'll be revisiting some of the past 60 podcasts in our back catalogue to discuss some of the recurring themes and share some of the best pieces of advice and inspiration. And throughout this episode, you might hear a few of our previous guests with a very special Christmas message. There are so many ingredients to being a founder and running a business, but Wilfred, founder of The Black Farmer, his description of entrepreneurship is one of my most favourites. And so I thought it was a pretty good place to start this festive special. And most important thing that you need for success is that you need to have passion. Passion defies reason. It defies logic. It helps you get through all of the hurdles that will come your way. Do not think that you need to set up some sort of business plan and some spreadsheet about getting from A to B. You have to realize that if you want to conquer anything, you actually go against all the rules that and all the expectations and everybody. So passion is what drives you through. And what I say to people is this. When you experience passion is when you fall in love. And when you fall in love, it, um, it defies all reason, all logic. You know that, remember that feeling when you I don't do. know what's going to happen next and, you know, you are, you're just in this place of uncertainty, but somehow you're being driven on, you're being propelled. For those people who want to know what entrepreneurialism is like, that is the feeling. Mm-hmm. That is that feeling that, you oh, know. I've never heard how, it be described like that, but how, it's so spot on. Yeah, how you live with that uncertainty. And every entrepreneur, every businessman has to find a way of living with uncertainty. And in this day and age where certainty tends to rule the way that we operate, you know, it is causing the greatest damage to people because they are so fixated on certainty. Control. That control and certainty that they forget the uncertainty is something you've got to actually um, get used to. So what I would say to anybody, the other thing that you need to be an entrepreneur is that you need to challenge the perceived order. You have to decide whether you want to be or belong. Now, belongers need to operate by the rules of the community. Beers are the sort of people who will take the risk 
that by being, it will piss off the people who want to belong. All the fear mongers, all of our systems, it's all about trying to get people to belong. But every entrepreneur has said, no, I'm not going to belong. I'm going to change the path, change the world as it is. And everything that you see and every progress we have made in the human race is because somebody says, no, I think we should do it that way. No, the conventional opinion is wrong. We should do that way. And so if you're that sort of person at the school and you're getting a lot of grief for it, that was telling you that actually your, your career should be geared towards being entrepreneurial rather than fitting in. You ain't going to end up being a civil servant. You're not going to end up fitting into a corporate environment where actually the people who survive in those environments are people who follow orders and rules. You're the person that's challenging them all the time. Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. I just want to stand up and just, oh, gosh. Say hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> That's exactly what I want to say. Gosh, I just love Wilfred's way with words. For me, his description was so spot on. I left his lovely home feeling energised and ready to honestly take on the world. Hello, it's Fern Cotton here. I just want to say a huge uh, well done and Merry Christmas to all of the small businesses that have been working so hard in the run up to Christmas and will continue to work so hard throughout the festive period. Keep doing what you're doing, keep being passionate and dedicated and just well done on all the hard work. Having been lucky enough to now interview so many founders, I'm starting to see similar traits. And in every fellow founder, the common denominator has been determination. Here is the wonderful Sahar Hashimi, founder of Coffee Republic, the first coffee house chain in the UK before Starbucks, talking about her first steps into business and the determination needed in order to get her vision off the ground. In the business plan, we we calculated we needed to raise 95 grand. And of course, I thought, well, this is the easy bit because my brother was a banker, right? So he was yeah. an investment banker. So I was literally like, can you just pick up the phone? And yeah, that's all we need. Just, just sort that out. Like, we'll be done. Of course, he had no idea. No idea how to raise 90 grand. <laughs> None of his friends did either. And I literally remember we went to Waterstones together. And Waterstones had a really small, small business section to the point that now when I go to bookshops and I see the business section, how enormous it is. That time it was actually on the floor. It was like at the lowest shelf. Um, but there was this one book called The Lloyds Bank TSB, How to Start a Small Business Guide by Sarah Williams. And as a whole chapter was how to raise money. And there was a surprising answer, go to a bank. And we thought, oh, go to a bank, you know, as simple as that. And I remember I kind of thought, well, if it means go to a bank, then I'll call my own bank manager. And then, of course, I had like a collection of overdrafts, so he was not the perfect person. So then we just ended up calling random bank managers again, literally open up the yellow pages and call bank managers. If they would answer, perfect. If not, just couldn't be able to leave a message, we'd call the next bank manager. And just the sum total is we called up 40, got interviews with 20. The first 19 said to us, no way, coffee bars will never work in this country. Because yeah. their, their premise was that we're nation of tea drinkers, so... Like, who's crazy enough to bring coffee to nature tea drinkers? And I remember the other thing they said was that these fancy coffee names, like half-calf, decaf and stuff, English people would never. They're so American and kind of. Um, <laughs> and then the 20th bank manager, um, bless him, the most unlikely bank manager called Mr. Lindop. He gave us a loan, and I have no idea why. But you get, you know, eventually, as you say yourself, you know, and I just, just to say, I'm quite proud of the 40 rejections until you read um, Howard Schultz, Starbucks, pour your heart into it. He got 279 rejections. So imagine going to 279 bank managers and saying, I mean, just, I mean, you can imagine the sheer numbers of that. You know, we always think it's just us getting the no and, you know, poor me and I can't believe it and this must be a dreadful idea. And just realising that greatness comes from, from, from the no's. I just you know. couldn't agree yeah. more. I think such a lesson, I think anyone listening now is, is getting no's is part and parcel of being successful and all of those rejections will mean success absolutely and it's those people as you said i mean 279 rejections i definitely i'm sure holly you like me i've almost that's why i kind of call it notching up on those i mean the more no's i get somehow in life i just know i'm 
you're onto something. Yeah, it's almost like running or like yeah. you know what I mean, like yeah. exercise. You know what I mean? It's just yeah, you're preparing for well, the big one. Pip Jameson from the dot. She, I remember, she said something like, "She's actually a bit addicted to that bit." Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. so when the real you know shit hits the fan or the nose are coming in thick and fast, she's like, "Okay, bring it on." This is when she's coming alive because she's like, "Right, you keep putting a door in front of me, and I'm going to slam the door open somehow." One of the most asked questions is how do I know if I've got a good idea and how do I start? Um, It's certainly not the easiest question to answer, but what I do know to be true after recording these podcasts is that you must be passionate and totally believe in whatever it is you want to do. It's always good to do some market research in whatever way you want and then always go to where the customer is. So here's one of my all-time favourite interviews, Richard Reed. I was incredibly nervous going to meet Richard. I knew he was a busy man. I had hounded him for months, hoping to get him onto conversations of inspiration. When he said yes, I do remember the team shrieking with excitement. He was so incredibly generous with his time, his insight and his letter to his younger self. Well, if you haven't heard it, please do go and have a listen. For now, here's the story of how Innocent came about. Innocent is it's a story of friendship, actually. I met my what became my best pals, Adam and John, at university. So we made a very sort of I think actually a relatively sort of spiritually positive decision right there. And then we said, one day we will set up a business together. But its principal reason would be to have and build a life and a bus to drive on through that life with uh, as three friends. And to me, it's the thing that I love the most about it. It It was really ultimately an excuse for getting to hang out with my mates. And the idea for Innocent was, in fact, born of a hangover. We were on a skiing holiday, feeling grim one morning, but having the same conversations we'd had for seven years now of, look, we said one day we were going to set up a business, and what would that business be? And we wanted something that was going to make life a little bit easier and better for people, and we wanted something... We realised it wasn't something that we ourselves needed and wanted, and right then we needed and wanted something healthy. And it was such a straightforward, simple idea. You buy fruit, you crush it, you put it into bottles. We could get our heads around it. And actually, that is, I'm not trying to minimise it. We did do lots of research and write a business plan and all the rest of it. But fundamentally, the business started by us buying £500 worth of fruit and literally crushing it up and putting it into bottles. We made a 1,000 bottles of smoothies and took them to a local music festival and set up a market stall at the festival with the bottles of smoothie there. But the unusual feature of it was a big sign above it that said, should we give up our jobs to make these smoothies? And we had a bin that said yes on the front and a bin that said no on the front. And we asked people to buy the smoothies and vote with the empty bottles. And we made a commitment to each other that if at the end of the weekend the S-bin was full, we'd go in the Monday morning and resign. And we got to the end of the weekend and the S-bin was full. There was a few bottles in the no-bin. And bear in mind, this was like 20 years ago. It was only about seven years ago. Our parents confessed they were the ones putting the bottles in the no-bin because they were worried about I was going to it. mention that. I yeah. saw that. Yeah, yeah but saw. it's true. It's true, and every time I say that publicly, my mum goes, oh, you've got to stop saying that. It makes us sound like unsupported parents. But, you know... But they were scared. Yeah, they were... I I couldn't love my parents more. They've just been, like, the the, the gold standard in parenting. So they're just... They're only ever... My mum's just, like, perpetually worried and just wants to make sure everything's okay. And so it it was the catalyst. We'd actually had this weird Monday morning because it was literally the very next day, and we'd all said we're going to resign from our jobs at 10 o'clock. I went to my boss's office, a guy called Jorian Murray. I stood outside at 9.57 on the Monday morning. I'm thinking, what am I doing? I can't go and resign. I'm like, I'm renting a house. This is the only money I get is the wage from here. I've got literally no cash. If I walk out of my job now, I, I, none of it makes sense. I've got no money to live from. So I sort of bottled it. And I went back to my desk and I called Adam and John. And they said, have you resigned? And I said, no. And they said, why not? And I said, well... Had they at that time? Well, that's why I said, have you, have you two? They went, no, no, we haven't either. So we all collectively <laughs> independently bottled it. So then we all said, okay, at 10.30, we're going to go do it. And then so we went back and we did. And then, yeah, there's just this, there's, what's that hippie phrase about, you know, once you commit, the universe provides. And I have to say, as I get older, I'm sort of starting really to believe in that. 
I mean, what a story. Next sharing up is Levi Roots, live in Bristol, who had the whole audience enraptured as he shared his infamous story from Dragon's Den to British success story. His enthusiasm for his product, his personality and a natural performer Well, it was just a lot of fun. Here he is talking about how he first worked out where to market reggae reggae sauce. I remember when I first did my first label and it it looked like as it does now. It's got the colours of Rastafari, which is green, gold and red. And it had a Rastaman on there and it's called reggae reggae sauce. And most of the people in my community were saying, Levi, don't call it that. You know, they were saying that (laughs) it's too black, it's too Jamaican and it's too Rasta. But I thought, hang a minute, that's bloody me. (laughs) I'm black and Jamaican, I'm a Rasta. And I really wanted this to be about me. And I I kept that. But I decided maybe I shouldn't sell ice to the Eskimos. So I I didn't want to sell reggae reggae sauce to my local people in Brixton and in Hackney and where there was Caribbean people that knew what Caribbean food was about. So we came up with a a really good plan with with my kids. We decided to, we had a map in our of the UK in our front room, and we, we threw a dart at anywhere that had Shire at the end of it. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know, no Rastaman don't live in them places called... Right. So, <laughs> so th- this is your market research, yeah? This is my market this was, you know, Do you know how much people pay for this sort of data that they would do that? But you threw a dart at the wall, yeah. and it, it had Shire on Shire, it, yeah, and that's yeah, the place we're going to launch. That's the place. Anyway, right. there was Shire. Brilliant. We, we would end up with the sauce and, and with my guitar, and we'll be in the Shires, and it would be like real quiet, you know, as, as you guys normally are. And, you know, I'd be there with the guitar, I'm like, it's so nice, I had to name it twice. I call it reggae, reggae sauce. I was like, shut the fuck up over there, Richard. I said, Levi had the whole audience in fits of laughter. It was a very special evening and one I won't forget. Hello, small businesses, independents, makers, creators, or whatever you want to call yourself. I'm just sending you lots of love and extra sparkles at this time of year. I know it can be such a difficult time for lots of reasons, but you're doing absolutely amazing. Please remember to do something lovely for you this Christmas, and I hope it's a happy one and an even happier new year. Keep smiling. Love from Emily at The Happy Newspaper. As a listener to the podcast, you'll know I'm a woman obsessed with brand. It was such an honour when Sir John Hegarty agreed to join me on the podcast. I honestly don't think brand could be summed up in a more eloquent and funny way than this. So I'm sitting with the ultimate brand guru. Who would you say is the best brand out there? And what would you learn from it? (laughs) Well... You know, I, I, this is a, a story. I was, I was in America and I was on a panel and uh, it was an advertising conference and somebody from the audience said to the panel at the end of it, there were questions and said, would the panel tell me who they think the greatest brand is? My American colleagues went before me. I was, you know, recently now in the States and they talked about, you know, somebody I think mentioned Coca-Cola. You know, it was a brilliant brand in the sense of it was just sugared water but you know carbonated sugared water and they would built this amazing brand somebody else talked about uh, nike somebody else at that time uh were beginning to talk about apple anyway they came to me and i said no i, I disagree with all of those uh, I, I don't think you know, any of those are the great but i think the greatest brand ever that teaches you everything that you want to know about marketing is the catholic church first of all the world's greatest logo recognized throughout the world fantastic um it was a brand that immediately went through the line straight away built the churches on the sign of the cross through the line marketing immediately went global none of this kind of i'm just going to be in one place much seven day opening none of that closing what close what are you talking about seven day opening definitely um diversified christenings weddings funerals did the whole thing and of course location 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 Centre of the city, centre of the town, centre of the village, biggest building, logo on the top. You knew exactly what you were going for. And, of course, genius. 
work with the greatest artists, greatest painters. You know, when Nike launched Just Do It, they used, I think, John Lennon. Well, you know, come on, the Catholic Church had Bach, Beethoven, Mozart. <laughs> they had them all, you know. They had the lot. They were with, you know, Michelangelo, Leonardo da Vinci. They, they you know, give us all this stuff. And, um, of course, what were they selling? Belief. Couldn't see the product. Belief. It's a very modern product in the sense of kind of yes. today we're selling things you can't see. I can't see Vodafone. I, it, vibrating air. I can't see Google, so I look it up. Facebook, it's just, you know, it's there. I can't see it. I can't physically touch it. They're selling belief in their product. Well, the Catholic Church, that was an incredibly early concept. And, you know, you had to say, 2,000 years later, few problems. They've got, a, you know, a couple of issues that they should be resolving, but still going. So the, the world's greatest brand. Everything you want to know about, about yeah. branding and where it goes wrong. Bit of that, yeah. bit of competition too. The Protestants yeah. came along, yeah. and the Calvinists, yeah. and the, but yeah. they saw them all off. You know, don't worry about that. <laughs> they were, you know, confident in what they were doing. So that the world's greatest brand. Oh, it's just the best answer, really. I mean, what a man! I honestly think he's the god of brand. What he doesn't know isn't worth knowing. But what does brand really mean when you're a small business and how can it translate? We all know we should have one, but how do we embody it? Whenever trying to answer this question, I always refer back to Bill Collinson, founder of Bills, and his take on bringing brand to life earlier this year. We call it on stage, off stage. So for the team I work in each restaurant, they're on stage. They have to, they're actors, they're part of theatre. You know, the, the guests are your audience and actually the guests take part. And we try to tell them that when things go wrong, which they will, that's your time to ad lib. That's when the, your audience love you the most. Is when you, way of looking at when it. You, when someone sing, forgets their lines and you sing a different line, that's when you get the biggest applause. This is your stage. There's so many different things that you have to do to put on a show. And I think retail, it's been easy for people to be mediocre time has got harder now and it's you you need to try harder you need to work harder you need to do all the things that make you different from everyone else and set you apart it's something I have really tried to take on board myself at the Holly and Co workshop but even if you don't have a physical space brand can still shine through, be it through your social media, your emails, or even your tone of voice, as Richard Reed shares here. Oh, the tone of voice is just the three of us. It was really interesting. A friend of ours from college had sort of disappeared off to, I think they'd been to Thailand or something, for 10 years teaching, completely lost out of touch with them. And she was telling me this story that when she'd come back to London, she didn't know anything about any of this. And she'd just go out and she'd buy a bottle of juice at this company called Innocent. She drinks it and she starts reading it. And she thinks to herself, blimey, this really reminds me of Richard, Adam and John. I thought it was an amazing thing for her to say. She's like, it was just, the, it was just, our, it was just our sense of wow, humour. And we just had to think, like, we just never understood why businesses get all really pompous. We're just humans having, you know, having a nice time, basically. And yeah. just like, just speak to people like you speak to your mates, minus the swear words. That's what we said. That was the sort of the, the, the mandate. It, it, in a funny way, I think it really helped. It also mm -hmm. delivered for me some of my, my, my single most favourite moments, like that thing about enjoy by. We got into a little bit of trouble for trading standards, but because you're not, you're not supposed to write enjoy by, you're supposed to write use by. So we had this whole like convoluted argument with them about if you don't actually use a fruit juice, it's the wrong it's the wrong word of the language. You don't use fruit, you know, you, you, you consume it and enjoy it anyway. So we were like, okay, fine. But then we used to do this thing which I knew was definitely definitely naughty. We used to put fake joke ingredients. It, it, on the labels and then there was this one way you know it said on the side six strawberries two bananas yes. one orange and two plump nuns right it's not even funny is it it's just a bad joke anyway i print this label forget about it, it goes out into the and anyway i get this call and i i i can't remember her name, which is called denise and she worked for kensington and chelsea trading standards and she rang rings me one day and goes mr reed you know we've got this we've had a complaint about this bottle and it says two plump nuns in the in the uh, ingredient panel and I go well I'm, I'm terribly sorry it's just our stupid sense of humor but obviously no one's going to take it seriously she goes well we do we're launching a formal investigation and I remember thinking two thoughts simultaneously which is oh crikey that sounds a bit serious but 
Oh, wow, I just can't wait to see where this ends up. And, and, and actually where it ends up is I have to, uh, you know, the, the written submissions, which isn't good enough, that ends as a formal hearing that I have to go to. About 10 days later, I get this letter, and it's my favourite bit of business correspondence I've ever got, because I open it. It goes, dear Mr Reed, you must either take off the reference to plump nuns or start using them in your fruit juice. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, I love this. <laughs> this, is, this is like, I'm, I'm so framing that. I mean, that's going in the loo. Isn't yeah, it? That, that is that's like what, that is that's along with any one of my other proudest days in proudest business. Proudest moments yeah, and yeah. things. Yeah, and I thought, oh fight my the system. goodness! What a story. <laughs> I just adore that story so, so much. And it totally sums up Richard. You slightly feel, don't you, like you're sat with a naughty boy in class with him. So much fun. Hi, this is uh, John Higgerty here, wishing everybody a very, very happy Christmas. There is, however, one thing I'm slightly concerned about. What happened to the gold, frankincense and myrrh that the three kings bought, it seems to have completely disappeared. The power of a business can never be underestimated. I know personally, for me, Holly & Co was a moment in time when I was exhausted. I was becoming removed from what I truly loved day to day and I knew I had to step aside and start that next journey. So many of the founders I've spoken to use the pain of their past to foster their entrepreneurial spirit and drive them forward to achieve brilliant things. Here's Joe Malone and Henrietta Morrison recounting the events that led them to building their businesses. You've been an entrepreneur from a very young age. Do you think you were born with an entrepreneurial spirit? And what was the earliest memory of being enterprising? No, I don't think I don't think anyone is born with an entrepreneurial spirit, but I think the people that need to survive had to develop an entrepreneurial spirit pretty quickly. And so I came from a two up, two down. We lived on a council uh, estate. My dad was an artist and a brilliant architect, but also a gambler. And my mum worked for a beauty company. She was a manicurist at Revlon for a while and then went on to into skincare. But I loved my family. I love, you know, unfortunately they're all passed away now and gone but it was a tough upbringing it wasn't it wasn't um I was the adult from the age of nine years old so I would always go to the fridge as I left for school to go what's the next meal and it's funny I still do that today it's a a really weird thing I go to the fridge and think there's three meals there's six eggs there's a tin of beans so if we lost everything today I could feed my family and that comes from that young child having to do that I helped raise my sister and I would also help my mum. So I would, uh, we had, you didn't have washing machines in those days where you had, you put it all in. We had what was called a twin tub and we were really lucky to have a twin tub. But I would have to wash all the sheets so I'd come home from school, have to wait up until nine o'clock when she came in and I would have to do a whole lot of washing and get all the linen ready for the next day for the clinic. I think from those young sort of years having to survive, that's what taught me. And I think often... That is the entrepreneurial spirit, that survival instinct that never quits. I'm not a quitter in life. And it came from my childhood. I did have quite a checkered childhood. So I was born in Beirut and uh, I have a younger brother. And we were evacuated during the war. We moved to the UK because my mother was British and my father was Lebanese. And... um, Soon after we moved over, um, unfortunately, my mother uh, was in a car crash um, and I was 11 and she uh, she she died instantly. Um, and the following year, my father died um, of brain cancer. So it was really it was a childhood in two uh, in really two stages, um, one that was uh, all f- happy and fabulous and sort of apple in my parents' eye and, and, and the other half really marred by a lot of very tragic events in a, in a short period of time. Gosh. You know, I, I always say I wouldn't be the person I am now if, if, if that hadn't happened because, you know, it was such a double shock and plus, you know, being a refugee, leaving, you know, leaving, you know, the country I was born in behind and, and, and being in a new country... I had a choice, really. I had to, it was a sink or swim situation. I think it was such an awful thing to happen that I really, you know, I, I at some point in my teenage years, I just had to stop being the victim about it and go, look, 
I have to be a survivor. I am a survivor. Anything's possible. Nothing terrible like this is ever going to happen to me again. And th actually, that really gave me blank canvas in life because I just, you know, I could just go for it. Joe and Henrietta are such a testament to the power of entrepreneurial spirit. I admire them greatly and will always feel incredibly grateful that they shared their stories with me. I interrupt your day with an important campaign message straight from the Shop Independent campaign headquarters. Like every year, we've gone all out to bring to life my mission in life, that we need to vote with our money and shop small. And there isn't a more important time to do this than at Christmas. So we've got amazing artists donating bespoke campaign artwork, including Rob Ryan, Dave Buonaguidi, Survival Techniques, Ollie Fowler and Rebecca Strickson. Some available for you to buy and some ready for you to regram or download from our site to create your own placards or proudly just display these works of art on your office wall or in your shop window. And if you want to get involved, you can. If you'd like to send in your own contribution to this campaign, please do. Send it in to us at Campaign Headquarters and you can find all the details on my website, holly.co. I love this end of our year. For me, it's what makes Christmas. The postman arrives in the office every day with beautiful packages of creativity. And I'll be capturing everything that's sent in to me on my Instagram stories and tagging you in. And thanks to our partner, NatWest, who believe in the power of small as much as I do, I'll be travelling the length and breadth of this country with my placards, visiting independent towns and campaigning for everyone to shop with their independence this Christmas and vote with their money. So please do look out for my announcements. Thanks a lot. Every week, there's an opportunity to have your very own ad break on this podcast, and it's all thanks to our partner, NatWest. NatWest's mission is to empower entrepreneurs, and so they're offering their very own ad break on this very podcast to any small business listening to help promote themselves for free. For your chance to win this incredible opportunity worth thousands and thousands of pounds, take that leap of faith and send in your small business advert to independentadbreak at holly.co or find out more information on our website. This week's winner of the NatWest Independent Ad Break is Refined Deluxe Jewellery. Over to you. Hi. My name's Zara and I founded Refined Deluxe, inspired by femininity and a desire to create beautiful lasting jewellery that didn't have to be a compromise. Refined Deluxe, or our Deluxe for short, describes what we are all about, taking memories and inspirations and refining them into keepsake pieces that are truly luxe. Our ever-evolving capsule collection is designed in our Shropshire studio and handcrafted with small-scale goldsmiths or in-house. We mix signature hand braiding, which has been perfected over several years based on skills passed down through my family, alongside tiny glistening charms, delicate rows of crystals, faceted gemstones and whisper-fine chains. This is jewellery all about you, designed to be layered, stacked or just keep it simple. Jewellery to reflect your look, your mood, your vibe or your personality, speaking to your individual sense of style. We take pride in creating items that we truly love and hope you will love just as much too. Come and curate your personal jewellery story with us at refinedeluxe.com. If you'd like to take NatWest up on their generosity and be listened to by thousands of people, take that leap of faith and send in your small business advert to independentadbreaks at holly.co. We're looking for the wonderful stories that only small businesses can tell and have created more information on exactly what we're looking for on our website, holly.co. What have you got to lose? Get recording. I can't wait to have a listen. Now back to Conversations of Inspiration.
As a small business, we pour our hearts and souls into our businesses. And so it's so incredibly hurtful and stressful if you are copied. It's a topic that has come up time and time again and has been experienced by so many I have spoken to. Here, the phenomenal Julie Dean shares her story of her manufacturer ripping off her designs, her girl power, her fast thinking and decisive actions. I am in total awe of her. First of all, it, it, it came after a very stressful period. There were quite a lot of, there's a string of stressful periods. And so that was, it was, it was quite tough. And I'd found a, a manufacturer that would scale up and and they had only been making for us for a short time and and I'd bought all the tooling and all the leather and everything and then I had um an email come in from um Liberty London girl Sasha Wilkins is fantastic blogger and well she's more than a blogger. she's sort of was fashion editor and but she said Oh, so sad to see you've changed your name. I liked the Cambridge Satchel Company, and I think that's a stronger name than Satchel's. So why did you change it? And I said, we haven't changed the name. And she said, oh, but I've just been sent this bag. And I thought, I have no idea what's going on here. And then I sort of typed it into Google, and and it came up with this homepage. It said, Satchel's this new phenomenon coming soon, and all this kind of thing. I was staring at it, thinking, what the heck's going on? And then I had a phone call from um, somebody who worked, you know, making the bags and said, oh, I've, I can't sleep because I've never been involved in something like this before, but we're, we're doing this and I feel really bad about it. And I thought, oh, my gosh, Zatchels are actually, this is my manufacturer that's doing this. And straight away I, I thought, well, I'm, I'm not big on rules but but there are some fundamentals and one of them is you don't work with people you don't like or don't trust you you cannot work with people you don't trust what didn't kick in was <laughs> you actually have 18 and a half thousand bags <laughs> on backlog at this stage and you're supposed to be making for Comme des Garçons for their Paris Fashion Week it didn't even enter my mind that side of it I cannot work with people I don't trust and that was the end of it so I went down and got this huge lorry to meet me there and uh, went down and took all the leather out. And then I was faced with the the practical and horrible side of seeing the people mm. that worked on those bags that suddenly wouldn't have work. And I said, I'm really sorry, this isn't about your craftsmanship. It's not about your workmanship. This is just that this cannot happen. I've, you know, found out what's what's happening here. I, this cannot happen. It rocks your faith in people. Mm. You know, mm. I hadn't had a manufacturing agreement with any of my suppliers, mm -hmm. hadn't needed them. And maybe that's naive, you know, and when you scale, probably you don't want to do things on that. But I thought I was a really good judge of character. And, and that sort of threw me. This is somebody that I had looked in the eye many times and I had no idea that this was going on in the background. I mean, clearly, it's just not right. Yeah. I said, I'm not, he messed I'm, with your child. Yeah, so, you and, know, this it, is, and then, yeah. you, then you step in. Then Mother you get really cross, really cross then. And said, well, I'm taking all the leather out. You're not making another bag for me. And uh, he turned and, and he really poked the bear then. Because he, he, he sort of said, you'll be back, he said, because you've got no choice. You know, because he knows that I was, that was the main manufacturer and I had this huge backlog. Um, and he said, what do you know? You're just a stupid woman who doesn't know about manufacturing. Oh and there was this kind of like out-of-body experience. I heard myself say, you know, to, to the people that were just left around, I can't believe that he's done this. And I can't believe he just said that. And, and if he's like that to his best customer, what must he be like to work for? Uh, and I said, well... If you ever are in the position where you want to work for somebody who's not like that, you know, you know where to find me because I am starting a factory near here. <laughs> <laughs> and I could hear myself say it, but I didn't know the first thing about setting up a factory. I didn't have a building. No. <laughs> didn't have a building. And I was driving back to Cambridge and I was thinking, okay, after I pick Emily and Max up from school... I'm going to go on right move because that's what you do, right? Everybody goes on right gonna, move. I'm going to find a factory. And I'm going to find a factory. I'm going to find a factory 
And this is quite a tricky time scale, this one. (laughs) Uh, So I'm going to find a factory and I'm going to make appointments to view five tomorrow. And um, by five o'clock, I will put an offer in, in whichever, on whatever one is the least awful. Gosh, I adore Julie so much. She was our first ever podcast. And what a way to start. What a woman. The power of a community can never be underestimated in bringing copying to the fore. Here is Joe, founder of Scamp and Dude, talking about taking on the big boys after being copied herself. You were famously, as in it was in all the papers, copied by Asda. And this is where the power of small is so strong. As when it happened, I remembered Instagram. It was just flooded by your image of the kids jump with a superhero has your back and people reposting and supporting you. But then unbelievably, you were copied by Next. I just can't quite believe you've had to encounter this twice so far in such a short period of time. But you're a shining beacon of hope for small businesses who think that there's no hope in taking on the big retailers. You've done it twice in one. I'd love you just to talk about that and how it felt um, and maybe to give strength to others to fight it. I think when when it first happens and you first see that picture, it it really is like being hit in the face. It's like someone's stabbing you in the heart because you've done all that work, your heart and soul's gone into it. And then you see a big brand just casually replicating it and it's it hurts so much but I'm just kind of trying to urge people to stand up for themselves because it's it it's unbelievable how much has happened and I think since I've had two quite high profile cases I'm tagged in it seems to me that every time someone's copied now someone tags me in it and I try and reach out and say if you want to talk I'll talk and I can try and give you any advice I'm I'm not uh, a lawyer, but I've been through it, so I can try and help if I if I possibly can. But it's so sad to see it happening so often. Copying is one of the most painful things to experience, and as Joe said, it is devastating when it happens to you. It's definitely something that next year I want to look at tackling and empowering small businesses with the tools to deal with it. Another business who talked about the power of the community when being copied was the amazing duo, Tatty Divine, who were copied by Claire's Accessories. Here they talk about how their loyal tribe fought so hard for them. It's happened to you. You were copied quite openly by Claire's Accessories. Can you tell me just about that process and what happened? And, you know, did you have to control yourself? It was marvellous. (laughs) It was insane. We didn't do any work for a week because we sat there and just watched Twitter. And, like, we were a really small business, you know, and all of a sudden we had an army, you know, because it wasn't just people who liked Daddy Divine or Claire's Accessories. It was people from PR agencies. It was people from IP agencies. It was lawyers. It was marketing. Everybody was watching this case unfold because it was really one of the first IP cases to fall open through social media it's like is anyone going to need a lawyer anymore let's watch this case to see if people need a lawyer anymore because the the people are just doing it for them you know and there was people and they and you know they didn't handle it very well because they were taking because they were taking down comments off their social media so they weren't letting it be a fair open conversation so people were posting on their facebook page and then claire's would take it down but they were screen grabbing it before they could take it down and then posting the photograph of the screen grab of their comment on facebook on twitter just so they could show that it had been taken down you know it was just like whoa and what was the outcome well we settled and we bought a laser cutter so it was great (laughs) <laughs> we, got, we got to go. We got to go on telly. We were in every major newspaper, and I think it really, really, as you said, defined, you know, what a community and army behind a brand can do. Yeah, absolutely. It was, it, it was very powerful. Dear conversations of inspiration podcasts, wishing you a happy, happy Christmas and a wonderful making, baking, shaking new year, doing just what you love. Here's to our wonderful, inspirational Holly Tucker. Lots of love, Eleanor, from Marby and Elm. 
As a business grows, it's inevitable that your role within the business changes. I've been intrigued to hear the founder's perspective on this. As founders, we know the business like no one else. It can be incredibly difficult, can't it, to relinquish roles and control. It's definitely something over the last 15 years I've got better with. But I also have got better at hiring, which when you have all the right people surrounding you, letting parts go becomes a whole lot easier. I loved Will Butler Adams, honorary founder of Brompton Bikes, taking on leadership almost as much as I did unexpectedly whizzing around on an electric bike after having not been on a bike for the last 20 years. It's rather exciting. Come on. Oh my goodness me. Well, we need to remember that leaders are at every single level of the business. You don't have leadership at the top, you have leadership everywhere, all the way through the business. And to me, leadership starts with having a clear passion for where you want to go. That's the most important thing. Then it is about realizing pretty early on, and I've tried to make this the way we work at Brompton, that I'll give you an example. If you employ somebody, so I employ somebody who um, knows what a raspberry pie is, which I thought was a cake you could eat, and, um, and understands Python, which I thought was a snake. So one of them is some mini computer and the other one is some coding language. So I need those skills to, to, to get us where I want to go. So I go out and I recruit and I put a job description out. Somebody has all this knowledge I don't have. So when that person rocks up and they say to me, so what do you want me to do? I look at them like a, they're a complete frog. And I say, well, there's no point asking me that, mate. I haven't got a flipping clue. That's why I employed you, you muppet. I've got no idea what I want you to do. I just know that I want to get there. Now, what you need to do is tell me what you need to get us there. So my job, having decided where we're going, is to work for my staff to give them the ability for, to fulfill their potential to help us get there. They've got the knowledge, and that has to happen at every level in the organization. That's, that's relatively easy. It's a bit weird, but relatively easy from a management sort of perspective. But in a manufacturing perspective, mm. it's been really hard because there's a tradition of, you know, I'm gaffer, you know, you do what you're told because around here I know what's going on. And, you know, and that's not what we want. We want you know, empowering our people because they're doing it. Of course, they know what's better. They've been doing it for eight hours and, you know, they're doing it in their sleep. And you need to be vulnerable. You need to give away the, the, the shining light because I'm not measured on me. I'm measured on all. Mm. So the way I have success is by everyone feeling like they were the one. They're the shining mm. star. And give up your stars and sprinkle them over everybody else so that they can all be stars. And then, of course, we will shine. I just love that anecdote so much. It has really stuck with me and I think is such a beautiful description of leadership. Doing good and having a purpose beyond your product has been fundamental throughout nearly every episode of this podcast. And it has inspired us to take our own steps into becoming a B Corp at Holly & Co. Here's Edward Perry, co-founder of Cook, explaining exactly what B Corp is all about. Okay, so the B Corporation movement, though, is essentially a group of companies who are united in the belief that business should be used as a force for good. I think we live in a world where if you want to bring about any kind of societal change, governments can do a certain amount, but are horribly inefficient. Charities can do a certain amount, but inevitably they're going to be limited in terms of what they can do. If we want to live in a better, fairer society business, and critically, critically, the capital that sits behind business has got to start behaving more ethically and actually start considering the environment, the communities within which they operate and the employees in a much more conscious way than they're doing at the moment. I think too much business looks at sort of the whole CSR thing, you know, corporate social responsibility. I think too often that is 
putting lipstick on a pig. It's nothing. There is there is. It's a tick box. It's a tick box. There's nothing profound about it at all. What the B Corporation movement seeks to do is actually make something much more profound. So you can't become a B Corporation just because you like the idea that business should be used as a force for good. You have to go through, frankly, a ball ache of an accreditation process. It's really difficult to become a B Corporation. It usually takes any company two to three months to go through that accreditation process. It marks you and grades you in every element of your environmental performance, community performance, etc., etc. And it's difficult. And the thing I particularly like about the accreditation process, although it's difficult, they, they, they deliberately make it more difficult every two years. So mm. this is not about a movement to be inclusive of everyone. They, they think of it, the founders think about it as the arrowhead that is going to drive the change of what business should be in society. So they make it more difficult every two years. And then once you do become a B Corporation, if you do get it over that hurdle, you join a movement of like-minded businesses. So if you believe in the principle that business should be used as a force for good, and being part of a community is it's just so much more powerful than being a lone voice pissing in the wind, frankly. So that's what B Corporations are all about. As I said, it was in fact meeting Edward that kick-started the Holly & Co mission to become a B Corp. It's a tricky process to navigate, so I will be sharing our progress on Instagram. Do have a look if you're thinking about looking at becoming a B Corp. I am positive it will help. Having purpose is the golden thread running throughout all my conversations. It's the magic within a business, and I truly believe truly believe that having a purpose, a reason to engage with a business beyond the product or the service that it's selling will be vital for the brands of the future. Here is the wonderful Asma, founder of Darjeeling Kitchen, discussing just this. There is a value in the values that your brand carries and that is so, so important and it is not something that is a minor sideshow. Being socially responsible, doing something positive, helping other people, you must always keep driving yourself to that point where something you have created value. I think otherwise, you know, why are you alive? Yeah. Why do you breathe if you do not actually create something beautiful, do something positive, inspire someone? Because otherwise it's just such a waste of a living. If you haven't done something positive and if you are actually creating a brand, creating a company, make it something that you feel so proud. And as Asma says, having value is way beyond just being good for business. It's about the change we are making on the world. Here is a wonderful Rowan sharing one of the most treasured stories of a winemaker that Naked Wines supported. Do you have a story that you're most proud of through Naked? The, the most heartwarming tale is we had a South African winemaker, her name's Carmen Stevens, who was the first black woman to graduate for, as a winemaker in South Africa. And 10 years after the end of apartheid, we bought her wine and uh, she couldn't get an overdraft from the bank to bottle it. And so we went to our customers and told them the story and said, look, we need 2,000 people to each ship in 50 quid to make this happen. And we raised it in four hours. And today, Carmen is a well-established naked winemaker. Uh, she employs an army of people. She runs an amazing program feeding 3,000 school kids a day. You've got to be pretty bloody determined to make it work, and she is. And... Uh, she sounds like a force of nature. She is a force of nature, and she's brought up two absolutely delightful girls, built a business. You know, you've got to take your hat off to that. It's hearing the stories of good, of humanity and heart within business and meeting visionary founders such as Edward, Asma and Rowan, who are leading the way that gives me so much hope for the future. And whilst on this subject, I couldn't not include the brilliant Dave Buonaguidi. Only he could talk about doing good like this. Values, I think, are the single most important thing for you as an individual. And then for you as somebody that can also play a role in society. 
But I think we're moving into a generation now where values will play an important role in everything that we do. The decisions that we make are absolutely driven by the values of the companies that you're buying stuff off or doing things with. There was a brilliant talk I saw online by a guy called John Doer who talked about the two sides of people, mercenary and missionary, and it talks about the differences. And, and I remember working with Anita Roddick, and she wasn't driven by making money. She was driven about, mean, about discovering meaning and understanding the role that she plays as somebody who's very influential with a whole bunch of other people. So all the stuff that she did for the farmers and the people that supplied supplied her. She had two ways of doing it. She could have shafted them absolutely like every, every other person does. Yep. But she decided to do the right thing. And I remember when I had a meeting with her, sitting in there and just thinking, bloody, it's, it's, it's really not that difficult. It's a very simple decision. You, you do it right or you do it wrong. Mm-hmm. And if you do it wrong, you've got to live with that. Now, most people, if, if, you've got, if you've got no moral guidance, you can live with that, fine. Well, I'm a Catholic, so I've got this terrible guilt thing, which is if I do, it, if I do the wrong thing, then I'm going to burn in hell, mm-hmm. which is not nice. No. You know, I live in Haggerston. That's close enough anyway. I don't want to burn in hell on top of that. And so you just think, well, fuck it. I'll, you know, I'll just do what I think is right. And suddenly it becomes really clear because you lose mm-hmm. all the shackles. You just suddenly become very liberated. I don't have to think about business Dave or home Dave. I just become Dave. And, it's just, and I just do what I think is right at the time. So I would always say, absolutely trust your instincts, trust your judgment, trust your integrity. And a lot of people leave it, they hide it because they think that's clever because it's about mercenary, making money, controlling, building empires, shitting over everybody. I don't think it is. I don't think we're, we're in that era where it's not about that anymore. I totally adore Dave. He just says it like it is with a few naughty words thrown in for good measures. Dear you... Congratulations on doing it, on actually doing it. Enjoy those happy dances with every order notification. The heart and love that you put into each order you're sending out is seen. You are seen and you're helping to make Christmas so magical for so many. Father Christmas's Robin is watching and you're definitely on the nice list. Love Gemma and the Strong Girls Club. So many of the conversations have transcended business and Ferns Cotton take on happiness. I felt so important to include in this episode because whether you run a business, dream of running one or just enjoy being inspired, this is a piece of wisdom that everyone should embrace. So here's Fern talking about the path to finding happiness live at the Congregation of Inspiration in September. When I had released Happy into the wild, half in the trap of, oh, I really need it to be on TV. That would make it complete. Yeah. So let's go and talk to all the TV companies. Mm, it's too nebulous. Mm, you know, and I'm thinking, well, yes, but it's also like a universal thing that yeah. we're all it's hoping important. for. It's quite important, but still it's seen as kind of no one can really pin down what it is, how it comes about, and, you know, and, and there is no real science to it. I think there are things that help to be aware of, like um, happiness isn't a final destination. You know, I'm, I'm certainly not going, right, if I build this massive business and then I can put all my kids through school and then maybe um, we'll have a nice holiday every year, whatever, that doesn't mean that in 30 years' time I'm going to be happy relentlessly and yes. it won't be omnipresent so happiness. And it comes yeah. out. Yeah, it's not you just like a big it. chunk of happiness. I think... The acceptance is, it is fleeting. It comes and goes. It's fleeting for anyone. doesn't matter if you're Brad Pitt in a mansion with a big movie star career and loads of awards, or you work in a supermarket. It is the same. As soon as we start thinking that those people are just happy all the time and have these beautiful lives where everything pans out, we're, we're totally ruining our own chances of feeling any happiness because yeah. it's so unattainable. Always comparing. We're always comparing. And it has to be a bespoke practice. It has to be what works for you. It's usually the simple stuff. It's not about money. It's not about stuff you can get. It's none of that. It's simple, everyday things that just keep you ticking along, like going for nice walks, texting a mate you love every day, cooking doodling, whatever lovely little things, Mm. I think, give you little moments of just even contentment or feeling okay, that's what we should be looking towards. 
All the conversations I've had over the last year have stayed with me and often pop into my mind. But one of the most profound meetings I have had was with Lord Billamoria, one of the wisest and kindest and most gentle-natured gentlemen I've ever met. I truly felt I was in the presence of someone very special when I joined him at the Cobra Beer offices. Here he is talking about his own personal philosophy in business. What was the point that you knew you were onto something? Well, I knew I was onto something the moment I embarked on the project. I had complete faith that I was going to create something yes. that, without um, wanting to boast, as I, I, I said, one of the things at Harvard Business School, um, uh, an anecdote from my executive education there, uh, they said, you've got to be uh, confident, but not arrogant. You've got to be ambitious but also humble. You've got to be humbitious. So anytime I boast, it's humbitiously. You know, I knew... What a brilliant, <laughs> brilliant way of describing well, it. I knew I was going to... I was onto something with this idea, and I wanted to create one of the best beers ever to have been produced. And I say, who are you? You don't know anything about brewing beer. Well, you're going to create one of the best beers in the world that's never existed before. Yes, that's my dream, and I'm going to do it, and I've done it. I've got 101 gold medals. As we come to the close of part one of our Christmas special, there isn't one single letter to self this week that I can share. But I did want to end on some of the most fundamental pieces of advice from a couple of them. I leave you with some words of wisdom from Henry Dimbleby, Charlie Gladstone and Thomasina Myers. Dear Henry, if you decide to set up a business like me, don't feel you have to move fast and worry less. It's a bit like trying to make your way across a frozen river. Your instinct, if it's similar to mine, which I guess it is, will be to work out where the weak spots are, plot out the best routes, build bridges over thin ice. Meanwhile, a bunch of other crazy motherfuckers will just run across. Some of them will fall through, but the others will beat you across the river. I do actually know what you'll be thinking. What if I am one of the ones who falls through? Well, I have two answers to that. First, it's not a frozen river under that ice. It's a mass of warm, compassionate arms of your friends and family. Second, who do you think you are? If you don't succeed in changing the world, someone else will. Not everyone can be Steve Jobs, and as far as I can make out, he wasn't even very happy. But I do know that you'll be super miserable if you don't give it a go. Dear Charlie, please be aware that life passes very quickly indeed. In a flash, in fact. Be aware that only you can do the things you want to do. Only you can create the change you want to see. You can create a better world and you have the energy and the drive to do it. So don't sit around waiting for it to happen. Remember, you're a grown-up. Change is in your gift. It doesn't get any better than it is now. Happiness is not around the corner. It's here and it's now. Life is like this. It has ups and it has downs and it's up to you to be happy. Be yourself. Put others first. Your generosity is your power. Do the right thing. Continue to put kindness and love and humanity first. People are good and nearly everyone is doing their best. So don't waste a second on those who aren't good. Work hard. Stand up for the right thing. Stand up for the underdog. Keep on going. It's going to be an amazing 30 years. Love from me. Dear Tommy, all those successful people that you look at in amazement, trying to fathom how they got where they are today, well, guess what? They got there in exactly the same way you're going about it. It takes time. None of it happens overnight. So just jump onto it, Tommy. Jump on wholeheartedly and try to enjoy the ride. Each time you feel your heart tremor and your courage fail you, just grit your teeth and keep going, because I promise you it does get easier. Promise me that you will be kinder to yourself. You can't solve all the world's ills, and neither are you responsible for some of the hardest things that you've been through. A human being is like a blade of grass, strong, a force for good, a giver of life, and immensely adaptable, but if you put that blade of grass under too much pressure, in the end, it will snap. Nurture the blade, water it, and be kind to it, and it will keep growing and developing 
and it will end up feeding many more things around it. Forget about what people think or what you think people are thinking. Live with passion, dress up, dance like no one is watching. These are attributes that people will love about you, not judge you for. Stand out if you want to be, be fearless, have fun. We only get one chance at this life, so live it to the full with more faith and more confidence in yourself. Good luck and have fun. Thank you so much for sharing the last hour or so with me. And I do hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did making it. So good to go down memory lane. How lucky we are to be together on this journey. I know this time is frantic. So I do hope this episode and all the others keep you company. Give you an excuse to take a breath and enjoy the lead up to Christmas. I'll see you next week for part two. I just cannot wait. Thanks NatWest again for sponsoring this podcast. It wouldn't exist without them. And I know how many small businesses this podcast is actually helping. It's great to partner with an organisation that believes in empowering business owners. To make use of their free NatWest Business Hub, which is full of information, tips and insights to help business owners meet their goals, go to natwestbusinesshub.com. Also, have you heard of their incredible mission to help 400,000 more women start a business by 2025? To help female founders launch and scale their business, they have launched Back Her Business, a programme which helps women prepare their business idea for crowdfunding. Now, here's the best bit. Most of the funding will come from the crowd, where NatWest has teamed up with Crowdfunder. But the bank will provide a top-up in funding and will be offering up to 50% of an individual's fundraising target, capped at £5,000, for certain successful projects. Yes, you heard right. You could win the ability to have the amount you raised, if £5,000 or under, matched by NatWest. I wish I'd had this opportunity available when I launched Not on the High Street or even Holly & Co. Head to natwestbackerbusiness.co.uk to find out more. Also, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I really hope you enjoyed this episode of Conversations of Inspiration. My mission is to help everyone build a business doing what they love. I've seen how happy founding a business based on your passions can make you and I want everyone to have that fulfilment. Happiness is the new rich and using your business as a force for good is the new way of doing commerce. So let's create a nation of happiness happy entrepreneurs that are changing the world for the better. Can I ask you a question? Might you help me on this mission? If you like what you've listened to, would you rate, review and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify or your favourite podcast provider? It will help others find this podcast and may just be the inspiration they need to follow their dreams. Thanks so much. Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down Where we're going you won't need to bring your frown You will find that all the things that I have said Will come to when you are lying in your bed And if you want your friends to come